0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. This week we get a chance to talk to Titus Lunter, a Magic the Gathering and fantasy artist who has really come onto the scene in a big way over the last couple of years. Some of the things he's been most notably at the forefront of are the Cat and Guilds of Ravnica concept pushes. In fact, Titus basically design Cat from the ground up, which you'll hear more about in this episode. We're really lucky to have gotten a chance to talk to Titus this week about Guilds of Ravnica and how he, as part of the concept team, really worked to create a Ravnica that felt honest and real and true to its source material while still having his own creative and artistic input into it. I'm also excited to let you all know that this is the first of three episodes in a series where we talk to Titus. The next three weeks will be our discussions with Titus Lenter, and I'm excited to have gotten to listen to these over again, and I know that you're going to be excited to hear it. So, without any further ado, let's get to the show.
1: Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. This week, we are joined by one of Magic's artists, a true gentleman and scholar as well as a tour de force in the Magic art over the last couple of years. We are, of course, speaking about Titus Lunter. But first, my lovely co-host will introduce ourselves, tell our listeners where they can find us on Twitter, and try to embarrass someone gracious enough to give up part of their Saturday morning (laughs) and to call us from Europe by telling us what your favorite piece of art for Magic he has done to date.
2: My name is Titus Lunter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Titus Lunter or on my website, which is Titus Lunter, or basically you probably can just Google Titus Lunter and you'll find me wherever you want. Um, and uh, I'm a, I'm a Dutch illustrator and concept artist for magic and uh, and other projects. One of my favorite pieces of art, and I think I'm not alone here, is is, is Cartographer by uh, Donato Giancola. And when I got to do Living Atlas for... Uh, Commander, which isn't the same as the Primordial Miss one. I thought, okay, well, there you have it. That's it. This is my my, uh, chance to do a tribute to um, the cartographer. So the idea was that I just painted a living map that was seemingly endless. And I thought, okay, well, infinity is a really ridiculous concept that you can't represent fully in art. But what you can represent is magical qualities. So you can't have a scroll that doesn't necessarily, in the literal sense, go on forever, but you know like a phone screen you can keep swiping it forever if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so that the actual art on the scroll is alive so i tried to paint the scroll as dynamic as i could which is not something that i often do like most of my work is very kind of uh super well defined very crisp very clean um, and it's not something that i necessarily enjoy very much but it is a great way of representing the environments that i need to represent on on a very tiny frame but for this, I kind of let that go out the window, and I was just doing whatever I felt like. So the piece is way less rendered than I normally would have it. Um, the usual amount of puns and gags is in there, you know. Uh, but uh, I I I did this in a way more loose kind of way, which I enjoy a lot looking at it. So yeah, I'd have to go. I'd have to go with the with the endless endless on this one.
0: My name is Joe Reddeman. You can find me on Twitter at findhorn. That's F Y N D horn. And uh, I have to say, one of my favorite pieces that you've done so far, Titus, is one of your newest ones that's been released in Magic, which is Primordial Mist. Uh, That came out in the new Commander set for this past year, and uh, it's a really cool card for Commander in general, but I really love the sort of uh, oozing, you know, vaporous, Creatures that you don't exactly know what they are, uh, which which really evokes this idea of manifesting creatures uh, in the mechanics of the card. I think that's a really cool matchup there because we've seen the various different ways that the morph mechanic has been relayed in art over the past ten, fifteen years. But I don't think we've seen really a a compelling way that manifest has shown itself. And I like this idea that it's it's almost this. Um. This this creature made of vapor and mist that hasn't quite taken form yet. So I really dig that one.
3: I'm Alex Newman. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at Alexander New M. Uh, and sort of on the topic of vintage artists constructed in lands, uh, I want to cheat just a little bit and say my favorite art that you did was the five basic lands from Battle Bond. <laughs> um, the I love the world of Battlebond, the idea of this competition that everyone's a part of. And these five lands really captured the essence of each of the five basic land types within an arena. And I just, I love the perspective of them. I think it's a really cool cycle of lands. And now that you have all five basics, you can build a vintage construct <laughs>
0: constructed that.
1: To be fair, he already had lots of lands. We just can't afford them. <laughs> <laughs> I am Hobbs Q. I can be found on Twitter. At Hobbs Q, my, my favorite art is actually from uh, the 25th anniversary, and it's because you, one of my favorite cards, you got to update art for in such a way that played homage to kind of the original and to the original storyline that went along with it, while making it your own. Um, and that is a little bit of kind of what our topic of the day is going to be, but. I will tell you that the art when i saw it for ensnaring bridge just absolutely blew my mind we hadn't seen gerard represented on a card in so long um ensnaring bridge has always been one of my favorite magic cards because of the effect but also because it fit filled um because of how it fit with the gerard storyline um so the hands actually growing out of the bridge kind of stopping him from coming across Um, and I know that parts of this is stuff that gets added later on the the flavor text because of the person who who added that the way your art did lent itself so well to this great kind of almost humorous which I always appreciate, punny kind of flavor text was, when I said I needed a hand, I didn't mean this. But Gerard standing there with the sword at his side, trying to get across this bridge and the hand growing up out of it, the colors in it, it really did transport me back to kind of looking at the original, but in a new twist and a new updated version of it. And I, I mean, I will say that when we opened up, we played a, a box of um, 25th for gear for a draft, I, I was just really excited that my box had a copy of that card. Well, and that's a little bit of what we were hoping to talk about today, because we know that you've been kind of intricately involved in helping to draft and define what Ravnica looks and feels like this time around. Um, from talking about concept art or just what the concept pushes for magic. We always have kind of this real world connection about how to express your own voice and individuality but you need to also balance this other groups that you are working with and being true and respecting the work that came kind of before you
2: yeah and we absolutely. Were,
1: we were wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about how that works with something like ravnica where we've now been there three times we know that there are guilds we know that there are certain aspects that we have to have mm-hmm. And you're trying to infuse yourself and your vision into it.
2: Yeah, I mean, return to sets are difficult for for a great many reasons. Um, I think foremost of which with the more popular ones like Ravnica is that you're fighting nostalgia a lot. Um, So one of the main issues is that people have memories of playing Ravnica. You know, the first booster pack they opened, the first Mythic they got, that great pre-release they went to. That means that they don't look at Ravnica in an objective way. They look at Ravnica through uh, an emotional lens, right? And w- when you're introducing a new product, there hasn't been any time yet for any new emotional connections to form. So you're, you're balancing emotions um, versus something new. And that's always very, very difficult. That's very difficult to win because if you do that in the wrong way, you immediately upset a whole bunch of people. You have to take into account how Ravnica was perceived. But also, you can't go too far on that because if you do that, it'll feel like you're doing that and like you're ripping off something and not adding anything new. So it, it, it's a very fine line that you have to walk where most of the burden falls on properly identifying what makes Ravnica cool and, and what allowed people to have that kind of fun. So a lot of that comes down to... Um, stories that take place there so you're looking at building a foundation for the story in which case it's good that we're going to Ravnica because as much as it is defined from a visual point of view it's super recognizable and as much story has been taken place there Ravnica as a whole is not super defined yet as in um there are millions of buildings but we don't know what every single building does we're assuming there are bakeries and schools and all that kind of stuff Uh, And with some, it's easy to say, you know, courthouses, you think Azorius, like, okay, that's a solve. Uh, But there's a whole gray area, and in that gray area, it's where we get to play around. So when we came to Ravnica and I got told that this was now going to be Cold War and high tension between the guilds, that immediately gives a sense of, okay, I need to build a visual base in that gray area where people can then have that story and what does that mean that means the unexplored parts of Ravnica. that means the alleyways the tiny dark streets the archways because we haven't had a focus on that uh before so that's where where i I started off of um and then obviously you, you run into a whole bunch of problems immediately based off of that because cold war has its visual roots in film noir and uh, gothic horror has its, has its visual roots in film horror. So that meant that from from an um, archetype point of view, Innistrad and Ravnica were very close together. Mm-hmm. There, there are these stereotypes and archetypes that we have to work with that, you know, after 25 years of magic, there are a lot of similarities between the two. So we have to be more and more refined uh, in order to tell the story that we want to tell. And if you want to be more refined, you need a broader vocabulary. So. Right from from the get-go, we understood that there were pitfalls, but what would solve it is to have as broad as possible a vocabulary in describing exactly what we wanted to say. So that meant that we needed to treat Ravnica as um, multiple individual parts that they, we could then massage into place. So I'm I'm thinking uh, the sky, the buildings, the trees, and the ground plane. Th- those are then the pieces that we get to work with, and that's where we differentiate how uh, Ravnica feels different from Innistrad and how uh, Cold War Ravnica will be its own unique recognizable set and not just a season on Ravnica you know we we needed to trump need it we needed to redefine Ravnica that people no longer think of it in the old sense but only in that new sense because if we do that then people will be much more strongly connected to the set and identify stronger to the plane, which is ultimately great because it increases, um, you know, player uh, engagement and activity.
1: Well, I know that one thing that you kind of started off with there. Uh, so we, we did a previous Ravnica episode that was about it was about expectations in general and returning to planes. And I know that for me, I could see myself getting really worked up with, well, I'm going to let people down. I'm going to let people down, especially depending on the type of personality that you might be. It can be very easy to get almost stuck because you're worried about what people are going to think coming into that. And I'm wondering yeah. what you kind of maybe use to battle some of that to be able to say, okay, I want my voice to be heard. I respect Ravnica. I want it to grow and not become the same thing that it was before.
2: Many of the, the parts of the question that, that you're asking have overlap. And another question that I get a lot is, is as a professional artist, do you often have an art block? And, and the question is no, because you simply, you can't have one. Mm.
3: Um,
2: you have to keep working you you don't have the luxury to have an art block so while i i understand that you know and i definitely feel the pressure when working on something like ravnica and you you don't want to mess up you do want to make sure that you're uh make sure you're hitting all the right notes and and you're getting all the people who are skeptical on board there's simply not any luxury to to linger in that fact for too long you have to have confidence in yourself that the research that you're doing will lead you to the right uh, answers and conclusions so The main question here is, if I want to add my own flavor to Ravnica, I first need to really thoroughly understand what Ravnica is, and that doesn't mean how it looks like, it means how the plane is perceived, right, so you're talking about that emotional connection that people have. Ravnica is super uh, relatable because it's a city plane. Many of us understand what it is to live in a city. Many of us understand how it feels like to be one voice in in a city where you can get lost, but also find places where you can engage with, with others, right? You can feel as much uh, unguilded, guildless, and alone as much as you can feel part of a guild. So that was one thing that's always been in the back of my mind where you go like, okay, I need to make sure that you feel like you're insignificant as much as you're part of something greater. You need to feel like you can disappear into the shadows of these streets, only to find a door that will lead you to this amazing new group of people. You know, mm. um, so once I understood that that is what I needed to tell, I could find my way of telling those stories. And it, it, you know, it goes in broad strokes, and it goes in in for us in terms like, you know, what kind of sky color do we want it to be? Do we want to have cool tones? Do we want to have warm tones? But the whole build up to that and, and, and ultimately the, the, the thing that pushes you to either one answer or the other is how will this register to people? And is this idea of what I have for Ravnica um, syncing up with the color choices you know, that I'm making? So you're talking, you're talking really broad and you're sort of trying to narrow it down further and further and further and further until you reach a choice that seems so incredibly obvious that people don't really question it anymore because if we do our jobs really well, people won't notice that we've made a change. If we do our jobs poorly, then people know that we've made a poor decision. So there's so many things that are happening behind the scenes in Ravnica and all the subtleties that people haven't noticed, haven't commented on. And that is perfect because that means that we've hit the right note in such a way that it feels like a natural progression of of the plane. And you know, ultimately what we wanted was People say, "Yeah, of course it would be autumn in Ravnica, and of course it would look like this, and of course you know you get that Cold War tension, and of course the Demir would behave like this." That's exactly where we want it to be.
0: Speaking a bit of the autumn, that feel of uh, you know just a, even the simple seasonal change on Ravnica to sort of make it feel like it is this natural evolving world. Um, I'm curious, Titus. You mentioned this a little bit off air to us, but. You know what? What is the logic behind that autumn, that season change? You, you mentioned a little bit. So, some of that went into some of the decision making behind that. Went into the psychology of what autumn means to people and how that kind of fits in with the storyline that we see coming up.
2: Right. Whether or not, because that was obviously world building. Who who decided that before? Uh, I got there so I I can't comment on whether or not they based that decision on the psychological impact of uh, Autumn on on people, but it was certainly a really nice bonus Uh, The set was going to be released in autumn great, but autumn Mm. also invokes uh, The greatest sense of nostalgia of any other season um, Which which syncs up great with the fact that we're going back to you know rapping again in, in a return set So you have a season that is perceived as being nostalgic People feel very nostalgic in autumn. They think about all the good memories that they've had, um, you know, in 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 the real world. So when those two kind of collided, either on purpose or by happenstance, you you kind of have a really nice solid base to um, uh, to build from already, you know. So we figured that, or I figured at least that. Okay, I got to lean lean into that as much as I can. Who doesn't love, you know. Sitting in a coffee shop that is nice with with ambience, with friends, with rain pelting the window, or coming home from the rain and going like I'm, I'm just going to have a nice nice drink and and you know relax for a little bit. Um, it's it's a place that you feel at home in, and the more you feel at home at a place, the more you can immerse yourself in stories that take place. So you have this great dichotomy between um, the feeling of being at home and cozy and the distant feeling of a cold war with a lot of uh, tension. You know? And you, you think that, okay, are those two actually a happy mix? And yeah, they are, they, they actually fit together really well.
0: That's kind of a cool paradox that you mentioned a, a little bit too, that, that feeling of, that general feeling of um, being insignificant while being a part of these large groups being at home while feeling the tension, you know, cozy at home while you feel the tension outside the walls and that's that to me I think makes that world that much richer, you know, we have we do get that sense from some of this art already, you know, even though we haven't seen even a bit of the Guilds of Ravnica story yet. I we're already getting this sense that something big is happening even though we're we're all excited to be here, we're all excited to go back. We're like, "Oh, this is something dark is happening but it's not the same you know sort of you compared uh ravnica and the noir sense to innistrad it's not the same sort of juxtaposition as we had in Amenket, which was a very that was a very different tonal uh you know cognitive dissonance where it was bright happy sunshiny yeah. but something dark is behind the scenes
2: well, we're always yeah. in world building, looking for contrast. You know, same for an actual painting. If you want to pull focus to something, you put the most contrast there. So contrast is light versus dark, hard edges versus soft edges. You know, anything you can think of that gives contrast. And in Amokat, the contrast was between the beautiful safe haven within the Hekma and literally everything outside of it. <laughs> and. Um, here, the contrast feels more subtle in Ravnica, but it's not. The, the contrast is way greater because you, you're mixing a feeling of coziness and being at home and nostalgia with the tension of Cold War. And everybody knows that if the Cold War did not fizzle, the outcome would be absolutely disastrous. We were talking about nuclear proliferation. So the stakes are incredibly high. So if you mix your feeling of cozy and home and sitting with a cup of tea and watching you know, the rain hit the window. And absolute total destruction. The contrast doesn't get any any greater than <laughs> that. So that was an amazing field to sort of like play around in. And again, if you do it right, even in the smallest things, you have people wondering like, "Oh, this is nice," but it's, it sort of feels, you know, the the tension is there, and not like, you know, there's an Eldrazi about to rip through everybody because people are getting tentacles kind of tension, uh, but more of this unspoken thing like, I don't know what i'm afraid of but i i definitely feel like i'm i'm fearing something this tension doesn't feel quite right
3: and i I think that dichotomy really helps engagement because that feels like real life i mean we go home you don't have one emotional state at any given time you have you're at comfortable at home but work sucked this week i can say that Mm -hmm. from experience you have (laughs) things like that you might have some you know go hang out with friends and things but you're having a troubles in a different relationship you kind of you have this dichotomy and i think that probably increases a player engagement
1: yeah like you're saying alex it's what we go through on kind of a daily basis i for the most part live my day-to-day life i'm married i'm happy i come home i have this and there's a ton of stuff going on in the world around me that makes me fearful and anxious while also trying to be Enjoying and be present in the moment Ravnica has always been for us about the guilds and I Say this almost every week now that we're in Ravnica But the guilds are actually a very small portion of the plane. I mean They're not actually the populace. Um, and I think that we've seen in flavor text and in my own theories that the the guild lists are going to be more important because of this Cold War situation that we don't know. And I I understand you may know stuff that we don't or can't talk about or know yet because you have worked on further ahead. But from us, what we're seeing so far from this first one, I think that this is not being too far out there, is we are seeing the rest of Ravnica. Whereas in the past, I feel like we have really seen the guilds. And they have right. been the focus.
2: You see, I, I I don't know everything there is to know about the um, about the lore on Ravnica, so correct me if I'm wrong. But what I found really interesting about this part and how I tried to tailor the environment to it is that for the first time, the guildless, the actual populace, gets to make a choice. They, they were a, a, a 2D kind of abstract, flat, character you know they had they had no depth because there, there were there was nothing really at stake for them there were no real choices for them to make it was all the guilds doing that stuff and everything went way over their head but now we are so low to the ground for the first time everybody on the plane is feeling the tension and everybody needs to make a choice are you going to participate or are you going to hide you, you can't know you can't stay in the middle anymore this is not going to go over your head you're, you're in it now um, and i think that feels incredibly um, relatable to people where all these big machines are moving around us. And and we understand that, you know, for the most part, we have no influence, you know, we're we're not the planeswalkers of our world. uh, but we do get a choice and we do know how, how it feels like when we get a choice, because even though we don't as individuals necessarily matter that much, as soon as we get to voice, um, what we actually feel things get interesting.
0: Yeah. And, sort of dovetailing onto that um it it seems like there is a a lot that does really match up with where the world is at large right now and this is i mean this is always the purpose of this podcast is to tie things into the real world from magic the gathering i mean this is magic the gathering is a great medium by which we can help you know escape our world or process our world or take lessons to take back into the real world and this i think does bring home in a really understandable chewable way some of the things that are going on i'm curious titus how much you how much of those decisions were made about these story points or concept ideas that do tie into this big tension that's going on worldwide right now um Prior to you, how much were you involved in that? How much can you even sort of talk about that uh, you know, to this, at this well, point?
2: Anything relating to the story of lore, um, I, I wasn't involved in, in coming okay. up with, you know, that's the world building team uh, doing that. And and obviously we're doing the work so far ahead and the world building team even further ahead that I think, as, you know, when when the story was made up, the world was in a much better place than um, it is now. So. I can speculate only, but I think how it's matching up with the real world now is more coincidence than actually planned with with products, with actual products is really difficult to make any sort of political statement or stance because you're not you're not making it for one specific region. you know this is a global product and um, the stories have to resonate globally. It, it, it's I think a really good thing actually that it's matching up better now because hopefully it'll get people to talk about it a little bit more and, and uh, offer them sort of reflection that, yeah, even though you're part of this bigger hole that you don't have a lot of influence on, maybe through this card game, you can see that your voice can be heard, and um, you can take action to make your own world uh, better. You know, um, it, it is a hero story, but the hero is not necessarily just the planeswalkers here. You know, it, it, it's also the, the voice of the people, which becomes much more clear
1: and i think that's something that we've kind of been lacking for the last several years in magic storyline and the shift that we saw with trying to work on kind of creating a more cohesive group kind of creating our own avengers in some way the storyline seemed to focus on the planeswalkers and less about the people of certain planes i know at times mm-hmm. it felt like that to me versus the old storylines when we planeswalkers didn't have cards and they were also Incredibly powerful beings that almost didn't have time for the day to day, other than to try of oversee, Ru Goldberg type machines like Urza. Right. The, the the heroes were the cast of the the Weatherlight. They were the people of the plane, and I'm feeling with Ravnica that that's where and and Dominaria actually. I feel like we started kind of seeing this again, and now moving into Ravnica we're seeing that the planeswalkers are going to be important but the story is larger than that
0: and it's cool too just to tie into that a little bit there's there's three levels in ravnica there's three levels of power there's planeswalkers and these you know interplanar beings who do crazy things at high levels that not a lot of people have a chance to interact with then you have the guilds which like you were mentioning titus seem like these impenetrable machines that again The momentum goes on and on and the guildless or the day-to-day people or even you know the grunts of the guilds even the you know entry-level guild mages people can't really do a ton to shift and then you have everybody else and everybody else is a much larger category than the other two combined and so it's it is fascinating to see that interplay already starting in the art already starting in the flavor text already starting in all of this stuff that we're getting that's just the the sort of vibe, the ether around the set, you know, before we even get to any of the meaty storyline yet. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. I think with the rise of the legends, you know, the legendary cards uh, you know, in the game itself getting a lot more weight to them in Dominaria, there's certainly more room um, for that category to to take more influence. And in the card game itself, I don't think you'll see the actual populace, but in the storyline, definitely. Uh, which is more relatable to people. So I think it's a really good shift. You know, y- y- I think it's good to have some sets where it's all about the grand scheme and these ridiculous beings that transcend time and space. And then, and then the other, it's, it's you know, about the people. You're you're narrowing the scope of your story again. Uh, I, you know, just in real life, you need a little bit of, you know, different flavors. You need to mix it up a little. And, and Ravnica is obviously the perfect place um, to, to show that side of the people a little bit more.
1: Now, w- so from what your work was with Ravnica, did you have, is this the set that you've had more, or the block that you've had more kind of involvement with when it comes to the concept?
2: Um, So Amoket I built from the ground up. So in in, in terms of actually hands-on, being able to influence most of the things that go on there from a design point of view, I think Amoket would be greater. But because Amoket was a much simpler story to tell, um it, it felt also a little um, Easier and more scripted the mm-hmm. the challenge with the Ravnica was definitely greater because my role there was to come up with the color and mood and What you're effectively saying is that what you're trying to come up with is one single Stylized way of doing things that immediately puts people in the right mindset and makes them feel like they are there right um, so there's a lot more theory that, that is kind of required to construct images that way than when you're just saying, oh, this is a happy place and it just needs like an Egyptian vibe. You know, it, it, that's a different kind of research and a different kind of approach. So the difficult thing always is with, with environments is that they have to be done so well that you immediately can feel like you're there. You, know, you can practically hear the wind, but it is still the background. So it doesn't take over. Um, it, it doesn't hog too much attention away from the people who are there because, you know, as, as much as I don't like to admit it, people are the main storyteller. You know? um, so I, I have to set the other parts of the story up for success as, as much as I can. And with Ravnica, that brought with it a whole bunch of problems because they said, okay, we're going to go autumn on Ravnica. And I asked them, okay, so what does that mean for Golgari and Demir? And they said, yeah, what does that mean for Golgari and Demir? <laughs> <laughs> Plus, so, so, so it's like that, you know, so, so you have to answer really tough questions like what does autumn in underground look like? And that means that your definition of traditional autumn goes right out the window. So you're redefining autumn on Ravnica, which is um, which was no simple, simple concept. Like the solution in the end is quite simple. And people go, like, yeah, of course, that's how you do it. But when you're starting from scratch, you know, reaching that conclusion and building the foundation that that can live off. Is not as easy. So for like the Golgari, uh, one of the uh, things that we did is we're adding a lot of um, mushrooms and fungi within that warmer kind of color tones, right? The, the warmer browns, yellow, ochres, because those are the colors that we associate with the um, with the changing of the leaves in in, in autumn. Uh, and then there's way of, of of treating the fog that is there, that's reminiscent of how fog would form and reflections with the demir with how you know wet streets would be. so the, yeah there is room to, uh, to to play with but my involvement there was really trying to figure out what these abstract terms of you know autumn what what, what does that what does that mean um, and and that's where a lot of that uh, had to come from. so it was a completely different different approach with the the, the
1: I think what's interesting there is you just said that at this point people seeing it now might be like oh yeah yeah that's simple it makes sense but i think that's only because it worked if it hadn't have worked i don't think people would have said that i mean i think that right. it seems simple because of the work that you guys did to bring it together right it's, with it's Amoket, it was the same sure. thing
2: you know it's like oh we have to go to egypt we have to do pyramids um sure okay but you know pyramids already exist um, <clears throat> And what's the second most popular shape in Egypt was the trapezoid, but we couldn't use the trapezoid because Abzan had already used that on Tarkir. Oh. Uh, so it was like, okay, there's only so much shapes there are in the world, right? And after 25 <laughs> years of doing different planes, you kind of run out of shapes. Uh, which, which is an joke that we haven't gone back to Vryn, because Vryn took the circle, and then we haven't <laughs> actually been back to Vrin, and we can't use the circle because of the So was So please... Go to Rin so we can use the damn circle because we're missing one of the core geometric shapes here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's frustrating. Um,
0: Who would have thought that shapes so, would be such a limited resource for art? <laughs>
2: right, they they are they re they really really limited. So so when they task me for Amiket to come up with something that's original, that reminiscent of you know pyramids and trapezoids, but is not trapezoids and is not pyramids and it's also not Abzan. You go like okay. Um, <laughs> That's that, okay. So <laughs> eventually <laughs> eventually, I, I ended up with, you know, what feels really natural now. Oh, you just have part of the building float. Yeah, okay. But there's a there's a way, there's a construction in how that can float and, and which parts can float or not. So we came up with the term load-bearing air. Which means that <laughs> the air in between the buildings has to feel structurally sound. So there's actually a very, very strict... Um, ratio of air versus building and where that can be placed. It can't be too far to the top, and if it is too far to the top, it has to be all the way to the top. So just that you know, uppermost uh, pyramid is separated. Um, so I've seen a few cards where that's not the case, and that's very frustrating because <laughs> it looks off. But in general, it was great. And then it lent itself fantastic for a set item, which is a pyramid, but it's a magic pyramid because a part of it is floating. <laughs> And people go, like, oh, yeah, it's floating. And I'm like, well, no, it's not. Look, it's not just floating. This is actually pretty complicated, right? To this conclusion is not easy. There's load-bearing air and, and, and weight divisions and ratios of balance. But and,
0: and so now Titus is end, telling us that he understands what it means to feel like God. Look at the elegant stuff <laughs> I made all around us. Oh, yeah, that's all it's always been. Damn it.
1: What I, I'm picturing now is actually I'm ready for a new reality show where it's like House Hunters on Cat. <laughs> you just walk in and you're like, well, I want to knock out this air here to make an open concept no, it's kitchen. A it's, a <laughs> it's a load-bearing air. <laughs> uh, man,
2: Good And I wouldn't watch there's it. There's something, you know... Um, the rabbit hole we can go way way too far down so at some point you do have to say look it's just magic and this is the way it is but from my point of view almost every building that i did on amiket has a function right you can't just have functionless buildings which was the one thing that ticked me off on ravnica and then obviously you know i get to go back to ravnica Um, so in the concepts i did concept you know bakeries and all that kind of stuff like look this is what the people interact with you know but none of that will ever see the the light of day we have, you know, we have internally during, during the concept pushes, we've had very, very lengthy discussions about how does the infrastructure for that, that city world even work? You know, how, how would the plumbing work? How would the, you know, there's, there's, in our day-to-day life, there's so much infrastructure. I have not seen a single field of grain on Ravnica. <laughs> you know, where does all the food come from? Um, how is it transported? How, how does any of the infrastructure required to support millions and millions of people? Mm-hmm. How is that done? So we we've had great discussions about it, and then you know an art director would come in and was like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, and then we'd explain them we'd like, why, "Why? That doesn't matter at all. Look, this is going to go on a tiny frame of a card. Just make it look cool for that and move on." So we have built uh, with help of Jonas. He built the bulk. Uh, of Ravnica, and we have actually built one of the districts in SketchUp. The whole thing to scale oh, wow. with all the buildings in the right position. Oh my god! Oh, that's yep. cool, Jonas Jonas DeRoe, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jonas DeRoe, Yeah, and we can't, uh, we can't show it. it. No, and we won't show it. And it's not actually been used as a resource because they don't want to tie people down too much. Because again, it is about getting the best shot possible for a card, not about the accuracy of where buildings are. That's that's irrelevant. Uh, if you're in a movie, that's great. We're not designing a movie. We're designing stills. And for the story point of view, what does it matter if a building is one block, two blocks, 100 blocks away from the other one? It doesn't matter, right? Uh, that's not the way that stories are constructed. So from coming from a very analytical and, and, and left-brain point of view, uh, that is always a very difficult one because I want stuff to make sense. But that, that's not our that's not our job. Our job is something yeah, to well, make anything look as cool as possible and move on.
3: And and like you're saying, you, you don't want to nail people down, because if we come back to Ravnica and other people are working on it, they need the freedom to do their work.
2: So where you think that, oh, you know, what kind of weather it is it seems to be way more kind of like casual than where buildings are and how the buildings function. Like, no, 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 it's the other way around here. What kind of weather it is, it's way more important than where the buildings actually are.
3: So Ravnica has load-bearing weather right now.
2: <laughs> it I'm is, the yes, air. absolutely.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So Titus, for you, I have to ask, as a person, I mean, as a creator and an artist, if we went, if, and I would probably guess when we return to Ravnica, is that going to affect your expectations of the world, knowing what you know, or what you guys have talked about outside of this? I mean, do you think that that will affect how you approach it or see it if you're not the one doing this world building at that point?
2: Absolutely. You know, and, and you talked about before that you want to make You know this podcast more about how the personal relationship is. And actually as much as I enjoyed working on Ravnica, seeing it now in card form is quite difficult for me because I went through an internal struggle with Wizards of the Coast at the time of Ravnica commissions, which meant that because I made my push for creatures and different kind of cards, it also inevitably meant that I could not work on some of the designs that I really wanted to work on, even though I told them that would take priority for me. So I'm seeing a lot of designs that I've done that are truly my baby. And, you know, you say, you know, they tell you not to get connected too much, but that's impossible. If you worked on something for a year or more, uh, you put everything you have of yourself into it, you're going to have an emotional response to it. So it's very bittersweet knowing that some people have worked on designs that I've made, which I'm incredibly proud of, and would have loved to have done the card art as well, kind of as a you know emotional closing off of of my involvement on ravnica because you know at some point it's done and we're moving on and we're going to the next set um so so that was kind of a very very bittersweet moment you know the tower on steam vents is something that i designed mm. and i was very proud of it and you were seeing in its early stages and it's going to have an important part in the story so we're going to come back there um yet i did not do a very significant card for it and You know the professional in me says it's fine you know it's it's just a job we're moving on but as a person and and i've talked to wizards about this before it it feels if it just feels bad It, it, it it makes me actual sad that i did not do that card not because it would be a good card or anything like that that's you know that's much more irrelevant it's just that you then get to work on your baby. And Amonket did have that. Amonket, I got to do, I was really proud of the buildings, and I got to do all of the buildings on the basic lands. I got to rip them apart on Sunder, which was really, really cool to do. Um, so, you know, it was kind of like a complete process. And with Ravnica, I will always feel like it's it's left hanging on that final note because I didn't get to to, to illustrate my designs. Um, and, you well, know, that's a real part of the job, you know?
0: That's our show. The show can be found on Twitter at Goblin Lore Pod, or you can email us any questions, comments, or concerns at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. Titus Lunter can be found at Titus Lunter, that's L U N T E R. Joe Redeman can be found on Twitter at Findhorn, that's F Y N D Horn. Hobbs Q can be found at Hobbs Q. And Alex Newman can be found at Alexander New M. Goblin Lore is a member of the Geek Therapy Network. Geek Therapy celebrates how geek culture can save the world through podcasts, videos, blog posts, community outreach, education, and convention appearances. It's a network of like-minded creators who believe that all different facets of nerd culture are important to understanding how our minds and communities work. Check them out at geektherapy.com or at geektherapy on Twitter. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.